music I've discovered is a tool that by design ministers to the whole experience of man at the same time, our body, our soul, and our spirit. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Welcome, my friend. It's good to have you join me for today's conversation. But before I jump into our chat, I had an email from a fellow podcaster this week asking about my partnership with Mercy Inc. You see, many podcasts that we listen to have sponsors that help pay for the show's production. And in return for that contribution, the podcast host will read a short advertisement for their product. Well, that is not what is happening with Mercy Inc. You see, I'm asking you to support the work that Mercy does around the world. And I believe in their ministry so much that I take the first 20% of all of the money earned through the website and donate it to Mercy Inc. Ads that you see on the website, donations made by listeners, and even albums that I sell through the partnerships on my website with Amazon and Music Stack, a portion of that money gets sent to Mercy Inc. each quarter. So when you hear me talk about Mercy Inc., I sure would appreciate it if you would visit their website to see how you might be involved, whether through prayer, by signing up for a trip, or even by donating some money. So before I jump into my conversation with my guests today, let's hear about another aspect of Mercy Inc. Isaac Ruto lives in Kipkaren, Kenya. He is a farmer working with a program called Shalom Africa, and they are training other farmers how to become self-sustaining through agriculture. He starts with a chicken. Now, most people would want to eat that chicken. After all, there's not a lot of food to go around here. But Isaac shows how caring for that chicken means that there will be eggs that can be eaten, as well as, oh my gosh, additional chickens. And as his students learn, they might graduate to a goat, or even a cow, or maybe two cows. Isaac has told us about students that have gone on to purchase property and build a house for their family. That one chicken started the path to people getting started in farming so that they could feed not only their kids, but their community. Mercy Inc. works with Shalom Africa in the predominantly Muslim areas of Kenya, Togo, the Dominican Republic, and Uganda. And they not only teach farming and agriculture, but they share the love of Jesus so that people's lives are being changed from the inside out. You can be a part of this amazing work. Visit mercyinc.org to learn how you can help change a life or even an entire community. And it can all start with a chicken. Visit mercyinc.org today and see how you can provide mercy and hope for families in Africa. One of my favorite kinds of stories is the way God directs the lives of his kids, sometimes even without us realizing it. My guest today has an amazing story of the plans God had for his life. Paul Wilbur was set to become an opera singer and even traveled to Italy to learn from the best teachers he could find. 
that was the groundwork for a different kind of singing career than he had planned, and an encounter with God, thanks to a meal with a family at church, ultimately changed the directions of Paul's life, and soon he was singing for a complete different audience. Paul has gone on to release 25 worship albums and has become an internationally acclaimed worship artist, singer, speaker, and an award-winning author. And today we get to hear his story. So join me in welcoming to the podcast, Mr. Paul Wilbur. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Dave. This is a, a real privilege. Thank you. Well, thank you for doing this. Yeah, I was I was kind of stalking you a little bit on the bio that I have for you, and you had a this opera thing was not something that I even thought of in your uh, beginnings. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how you got started and why opera and and the trip to Italy and let's yeah. start at the beginning. <laughs> okay. Well, if we if we go all the way back to the beginning, uh, my dad handed me a Sears and Roebuck silver tone guitar ah, yeah. at the age of nine. Uh, my dad wanted to be a concert violinist. Okay. Growing up in a Jewish home, uh, it, you know that the the famous. Uh, if your dad is something that you're going to be something, so it's Horowitz and Sons, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Silverman and Sons. It, yeah. That's the Jewish tradition. It's the way we do it. Yeah. Um, my grandfather happened to be a very good chemist. And so my dad uh, was stationed to be a chemist, although he was an exceptional violinist. And in high school, he was playing in the uh, the college orchestra. Yeah. So he determined that he wasn't going to force that on me. He handed me a guitar at the age of nine, gave me my first guitar lesson on his violin. Oh, interesting. Matching tones. Yeah. From there, I just fell in love with music, making music. Uh, took music lessons as a young man on my guitar. Then I started taking voice lessons because I wanted to go to college and have a a vocal career, Uh Uh, had real good success in high school doing leading roles in school plays, musicals, found such a place of uh, of fullness for me in in music, took music theory classes in high school, started writing music, uh, walking the streets of Manhattan with my guitar and a portfolio of songs mm, yeah. uh, on reel-to-reel tapes. Remember oh, those days? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the 60s. Um, right. Yes, 60s is when I was already hawking my music on the streets of Manhattan. Uh, was published as a 16-year-old, wow. making uh, recordings in real studios at 17. Wow. In Manhattan. Um, and so because this is where I found such joy and success, uh, entered uh, Baldwin Wallace College in Cleveland, Ohio, at the age of 18 as a music major, okay. majoring in voice. Well, as it turns out, um, my voice teacher, back in those days, you didn't choose your teacher. Your teacher chose you uh-huh. based on... Uh, an audition. And so one by one, we file in front of the voice faculty and they say, okay, I'll take number 27 or (laughs) I don't know what my number happened to be. But lo and behold, the teacher who chose me was the cantor at at a very prestigious temple, reform temple, downtown Cleveland. Mm. 
Um, and having a Jewish background, when I found out who my teacher was, didn't even know that he was on staff or that he was the cantor or whatever. Every Friday night, instead of hanging out with my buddies in college, I was sitting next to my voice teacher at the temple downtown Cleveland. And uh, so learning Hebrew, studying voice, um, his love was cantorial music and opera. And that kind of got transferred to me. So four years of that, I left college, moved to Milan, Italy, because if you're going to be an opera singer, which is very closely related stylistically and technically to being a first-class cantor. So like a man named Richard Tucker, this was the connect for me. Mm. Richard Tucker was a very successful Jewish opera singer and cantor. And and I had patterned my life. In fact, today, even still here in my office, I have uh, his his full repertoire on 33 and a third vinyl of all of his recordings. Very cool. And so that was the connect for me with opera, uh, religious Jewish music, which started uh, with rock and roll and yeah. uh, music theater, and 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 then we went on from there. So when you went to Italy, I mean that was a for me that'd be as a seventeen in, or now probably twenty year old. This is a huge mm-hmm. jump. I'm going to oh. go across the seas to a foreign country. What was that? What was going through your mind when there was this exciting? Was this? Did you have trepidation? You know, Dave, I was too. I was too young and too successful to be concerned. Or mm. I packed a steamer trunk. Uh-huh. I booked a trip on a luxury Italian liner for one hundred dollars. Oh, I man. got a ten-day cruise on the Michelangelo. I don't even know if it's still in service or not. <laughs> but I I had a room with three other guys down in the I mean the basement of this my my bunk was shared with three other guys right over top of the what they called the screws the propellers oh, yeah. on this huge ship. Yeah. So you couldn't hear anything in that room <laughs> except <laughs> and um so the, I didn't know Italian. I didn't know anybody. Uh, I landed in Genoa, Italy, got on a train to Milan with my stuff, and then started walking the streets of Milan trying to find an apartment to rent and a wow. voice teacher. I mean, when I think about it now, Dave, it's it's bizarre. It's so you bizarre. went over there with no voice teacher lined up already? No, I oh, didn't wow. know anybody. Yeah, I didn't know Italian, and and <laughs> Milan is a very uh, industrial city, and so not unlike Rome, where everyone would have spoken English, mm-hmm. or Florence, or Venice, you know, the big tourist cities. Yeah, this was the center of of industry and business. Although La Scala Opera House is there, and that's where I landed, okay. looking for a teacher. Looking to learn Italian, I enrolled in Italian classes. I found a teacher, 
uh, I found an apartment, actually a room in an apartment. <laughs> yeah. It's it's bizarre. It's just, yeah. but this is how I've lived my whole life. So then you finish up school. You think mm-hmm. you've got this opera path in front of you. You mm-hmm. come back to the States. Mm-hmm. What What happens next that formulates who you are now as a worship singer? Yeah, well, the, you know, the uh, the suddenlies of the Lord, right? So yeah. Yeah. I came back, um, I I enlisted my voice teacher from undergraduate school, the mm-hmm. cantor, and, um, but I need to support myself. I ran out of money in Italy after working double shifts in a paper factory the summer before I went yeah. in order to earn enough money to su- support myself for that year. I came back, I, I, I took a job in uh, a high school teaching vocal music and guitar classes. Uh, I did that for two years. Then I enlisted for a master's degree at Indiana University. Ah. And that's where everything got turned upside down. So which came, I, I think I know which came first, but your bio tells an amazing story of how you came to know Jesus as your savior more than just a, a, a man that you you were expecting Talk a little bit about that, and then and then I want to talk about how that transition also changed your music focus. Mm. Yeah, so there I am minding my own business at Indiana University with a very prestigious teacher um, who is excited about helping me get onto this uh, professional path of cantorial music and opera. Gene uh, Dice, my teacher, was currently singing at the Metropolitan Opera, mm. I was lined up. I mean, I was ready, ready to go. And one day, my accompanist at graduate school, a Baptist girl from Georgia, a pretty blonde girl, invited me to church. Well, you know, it's Sunday morning. I was interested in her mm-hmm. socially. Um, and that's why I enlisted her as my accompanist. Uh, you know, there's a slew of accompanists, but I just happen I picked the prettiest one I could find. Isn't that why and, a lot of us go into music is to find the girl, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then something else finds you. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she invites me to church. I said, what the heck? I'm not doing anything. It's Sunday morning. Um, and I went along. Well, I had, I had an experience that morning at the church quite unexpectedly that set me on a path. I, then became curious mm. because I experienced the presence, what I know now, the presence of the Lord. I didn't know what to call it. I, I kept asking her, what's going, is someone playing with the air conditioning here in this building? Yeah. Or, yeah. It was because of the song of a guest that had a young man, my age, 27 years old, who got up and sang a special song Um, It was a pretty traditional uh, Presbyterian church. So they had a small choir, they had hymnals, and they did all that. But this guy got up with his nylon string guitar and sang a solo, and that's when things changed. Wow. I wanted to know what happened and why they changed and why I was being so moved by what I was hearing. Yeah. From an obvious good voice, a trained voice, but a pop voice singing songs that he'd written. 
I mean, this is taking me back now mm-hmm. 10 years. Yeah. Writing yeah. your own songs, singing with a guitar, no big production. So I started attending the church just on Sunday nights. And I thought maybe I'll run into this guy. Well, he wasn't a part of the church. He was a guest. Uh, and I kept asking people on Sunday nights, where's that guy with his guitar that writes his own music? And nobody knew who I was talking about. Mm. One of these nights, here, here's where the supernatural comes in for me. One of those nights, they said, look, if you're a college, if you're a grad student at IU and you'd like a free meal, I said, free meal? You got to be kidding me. I'm putting myself through graduate school. Free is my favorite four-letter word. I I used other four-letter words quite frequently, but free was my favorite. Yeah. And so I circled my name. I got a call. They said, go to this house next Sunday night. They'll give you a free meal. They'll drag you to church, and then you're free to live your life. So I got the address up to the door. I went the next Sunday night, knocked on the door, and who opens the door? The guy who had sung months ago the special Yes. I almost fell out. I thought, how random is this? Nobody knew who this guy was. He wasn't a part of the church. This was Bloomington, Indiana. He was a guest from Florida. All those times when I was asking about him, he had moved to Bloomington, Indiana, took a job as the youth director at that church. And I wind up, uh, I'm, I'm going to get emotional here. It, it choked, I, I wind up on his front steps when he opened the door. I'm telling you, Dave, I almost fell over. I looked yeah. at him and I said, quote, it's you. And he just looked at me like he didn't know what I was talking about. But he invited me in. We had a meal together. The next week, he took me on a fishing trip to Bumpus Mills, Tennessee. Bumpus Mills, Tennessee. I'm not a fisherman. I don't fish. (laughs) Fishing is for Jews of the Bible. You know, Peter, (laughs) James, John. Uh, I I was still fishing for girls at this point. I could. (laughs) Fishing is not in my. Yeah. You know, my wheelhouse. Ride a motorcycle? Yes. Play a guitar? Yes. Fishing? No. Yeah. But because he invited me, I went. The first night he shared his testimony with me, it hit me so hard, I recognized this Jesus is what I need in my yeah. life. And so then all by myself, the next morning about 6 a.m., I prayed, I gave him my life, and that was March 26th of 1977, and I haven't changed my mind since. What was this guy's name that you... Uh... Jerry Williams. Jerry Williams. Jerry Williams and, and I... That's important because yeah, it... oh. that was one of the first big uh, Christian music bands you got involved with was Jerry's band called... Right. Harvest. Harvest, yeah. Yeah, we were Harvest. Yeah. There was no Harvest prior to me receiving the Lord, and then my buddy from grad school, another lost soul, Ed Carr, Uh uh, who was a keyboard major at Indiana University. And Jerry and I started singing together immediately. The next week, Jerry said to me, uh, hey, this sounds great, but I met another guy that you know uh, and led him to the Lord. 
And so let's go in this practice room at IU and just sing together, the three of us, and see what happens. Dave, it was, it was supernatural. The sound that came from the three vocals was ridiculous. We looked at each other like, what in the world? <laughs> and that was the first day of the group harvest. And a couple months later, we have a recording contract with Zondervan. Yep. We're traveling all over the place. I'm, I know the Lord three months, and now I'm an expert, right? I'm up <laughs> yeah. on a platform with yeah. a microphone, praying with people to receive Jesus, and I barely know what I'm doing, but it was amazing. So you were with you were with Harvest as part of that group for about three years, right? Five. Five years, okay. And yeah. but but at some point you spin off and you find that you have a voice of your own. How mm. did that transition take place? That that God is asking you to step out and be the the front of mm. of, of worship and so forth. Yeah. Well, so Harvest is doing amazing things, great invitations all over the place, stadiums and churches and street corners. And it's just so fulfilling. But now I'm opening my Bible. And every time I open my Bible and read something about Israel or the Jewish people, I, I can't hold it together. It's like that first time that I heard Jerry sing and I knew something's happening inside, I can't, I can run, but I can't hide from this love of Israel and the Jewish people, Jewish dad, right? Yep. So, and then as we're traveling, people are handing me books. I don't know who you are, but you need to read this book. Or (laughs) somebody handed me some testimony tapes from Sid Roth. And that's what Mm -hmm. really got the wheels Turning, you know, back in back in the seventies and eighties, Sid had this uh, strictly uh, radio ministry called Messianic Vision, right? And he would interview Jewish believers, get their testimony. How did you come to know Yeshua, Jesus? Yeah, and that was the the bulk of his ministry. I sat down and listened to one of his cassette tapes, and I said, "Here's another guy, I have to know." So the phone number was right on the front of the cassette. I called him up in uh, Kensington, Maryland. He answered the phone, which shocked me. Yeah. I told him who I was. He said, you need to get here. I want you to come here. I want you to see what we're doing. We have a Messianic synagogue. I said, what's that? (laughs) He said, we have Torah scrolls. I said, no, you don't. He said, we have a synagogue. I said, no, you don't. Here I'm, I'm correcting the guy that I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, so I packed up my wife and our two-month-old son and drove through the night from Bloomington, Indiana to Rockville, Maryland, and uh, sat down with Sid. And the next thing I know, I'm leaving Harvest because we have to bring this message to the Jew first, Romans 1, 16 mm-hmm. and 17 and also to the nations, but do it with the music that God's yeah. given to us. So, And now you've been doing that for 40 years? Ever. Yeah, mm-hmm. forever. <laughs> uh, since 1981. Okay. So yeah. what's that? 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little about, just a, a lot of us Christians 
may not understand what it is that the Jewish folks are struggling with about understanding mm-hmm. Jesus is the Messiah. And that's that's the kind of the core of what your ministry is about, right? Is helping the Jews understand that this Messiah that has been predicted in Scripture, the old ancient Scripture is has come alive in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that ministry and what it, what does that look like for you today? Mm. Well, it became so obvious to me after sitting, um, hearing, um, and then reading. Now, that's exactly the opposite of what any good Jewish boy or girl hears, sees, and reads growing up. Because the rabbis uh, are, are supposedly sitting in the seat of Moses, at least that's the theory, yeah. and because the rabbis, for the la- in large part, for the last 2,000 years, have rejected... Jesus as being the Messiah. Right. Therefore, he can't be the Messiah. If the rabbis who are learned and know the scriptures, supposedly, yeah. and hear the voice of God, supposedly, have rejected Jesus as being the Messiah of Israel, he can't possibly be the Messiah of Israel. And then if you go through, uh, unfortunately, a lot of church history, you, you discover um, terrible streams of anti-Semitism yeah. um, that have continued to preach to the Jewish people, this Jesus can't possibly be our Messiah. So without getting into the, the weeds on this, uh, we have a people group who are told from birth, this Jesus, no matter what you read, he can't possibly be our Messiah. Now, we have the revival of, uh, you know, the Jesus movement of the 70s and 80s, 60s, late 60s, 70s and 80s, where many of us Jewish people came to faith in Jesus against the grain, against common teaching, against the desire of the rabbis. We couldn't help the revelation that poured into our hearts. And when we got that revelation, sat down with our Bibles, we're saying, this is obvious. He Mm -hmm. has to be the Messiah or else there is no Messiah coming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, based on Daniel 9 and, and, oh my goodness, I mean, mean, (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. And so many of us dedicated our lives to singing, teaching, preaching, sharing, this good news with our Jewish people. And uh, and today uh, in the United States, oh, there may be 300 Messianic Jewish synagogues. Um, in Israel, maybe 20,000 Jewish believers out of 6 million, wow. which is still just a drop in yeah. the bucket. Yeah. So uh, we need as a people to have an outpouring of the revelation of the Spirit. You know, we just finished Pentecost, right? Right. Yesterday. Right. The Holy Spirit. Night. Yeah. 
Exactly, the Feast of Shavuot, where we celebrate the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, and Acts chapter 2, on the same day, 1,300 years later, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this same feast, um, which was a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. He's talking about the Jewish people. So we are the first drops of, of of a downpour that we are expecting. And we've been laboring in this field, in this vineyard, in in this harvest for four decades, which now includes my brother, by the way, who wouldn't speak to me for 10 years and just recently has acknowledged Jesus, Yeshua, as his Messiah. After praying for this guy for 44 years, yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> if oh, you're going to go yeah. in the in this field, man, you, you better have your your long range goals in mind. <laughs> yeah, because you're going against centuries of millennia. Yeah, millennia of of belief that the Messiah is coming and is still not here yet, right. and to 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 be able to recognize that Jesus is that Messiah. That's got to be a major shift in people's minds that it would be like saying, you know, you need to become a frog and you need to start hopping on your, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you're, you're exactly right. What is it about music for you that is that key into helping people see the Messiah? Mm. I mean, I know you speak and you write as well, but music has kind of been that cornerstone. Obviously, you've been gifted in music. And obviously that is what God has called you into. But what is it about music that makes that such a powerful tool? Mm, good question. You're, you're getting into my sweet spot here. You know, you, you open your Bible on page one and you realize that everything that is created was created by sound. Yes. And God said, let there be. And there was. And then you discover in places like the Psalms or Zephaniah chapter three, that, that God is also a singer yeah, and he sings over us psalms, deliverance of healing, of restoration of life. And, and so music I've discovered, Dave is, is a tool that by design ministers to the whole experience of man at the same time, our body, our soul, and our spirit. Sound, music, ministers can minister to the whole experience of mankind at the same time. And so it has become an invaluable tool for me to be able to express life to anyone, to the Jew first, again, here we are in Romans chapter one, to the Jew first, but also to the nations. So my music, the sound, are designed with two purposes in mind. One is to give my fellow believers, the church, if you will, Mm -hmm. sounds to return their breath as praise to God, praise and worship, and also as a a plumb line, a sounding board to speak into the lives of the Jewish person, the truth of the gospel 
of the kingdom. So it's a two-edged sword. For me, music and song is a two-edged sword with a double purpose, but the point, both of those edges come to the same point. Jesus, Yeshua, he is the point of the music. Yeah. You talk about the sound and, and the importance of that. Just last week, I spoke with Noel Robinson. I don't know if you're familiar with Noel. He's a British mm-hmm. uh, gospel singer, and he was talking about the fact that we are, if you look at thunder and lightning, the thunder is the sound that the light makes. And mm-hmm. as we, as humans, as singing, our singing is a direct sound of being in the light of Jesus. And I just love that picture. And you were talking about the, the way that God spoke, the God sang over us. That is just a reflection of the light of who he is. And I just love that picture. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. I, I may use that and not even give him credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you, you make frequent trips to Israel and you do world, you travel the world singing and ministering. But just recently, you started a new project that I'm very interested in, the Lemba Project. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, the Lemba Tribe. Talk a little bit about the Lemba Project and why, how that fits into the ministry of, of Paul Wilbur Ministries. Mm, okay, good question. Let me see if I can read or digest this. So, um, you know, a big part of our message in the music and the ministry is an expression of the kingdom of God, the one new man, Jew and Gentile right? Mm -hmm. It's in our music. So we we use some Hebrew, mostly English, but also Spanish and Portuguese and German and Italian. And and believe it or not, a a little Chinese. I've even sung in Chinese. No kidding. I haven't heard that yet. (laughs) Yeah. Much easier to sing in Chinese than to speak Chinese. That's for sure. I imagine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and so um, we've always looked to impact the Jewish community whether it's Israel or wherever that Jewish community may be. And uh, one day I was sitting with a a pastor for Zimbabwe, from Zimbabwe, uh, Southeast Africa. And and he was saying to me, Brother Paul, listen, we love your music. We love the message, but we have a problem in Zimbabwe. We can't be a one new man church because we have no Jews. I said, well, hold on. I, I may have a solution for you. I picked up my phone. My friend, uh, Jonathan Burnus, uh, has a ministry that's been ministering into Zimbabwe, into a particular tribe. This is one of the lost tribes of Israel. They're, they are a African black tribe called the Lemba. And for more than 2,000 years, 2,500 years, they trace their history back uh, to to Solomon, even that far back, and uh, and the Queen of Sheba, much like the the African tribe, uh, the Falasha Jews of Ethiopia. Okay. And, And so Jonathan, my friend Jonathan, has been preaching the gospel there for the last seven years. And hundreds, if not thousands, of this Lemba tribe have turned to Jesus as Messiah. Oh, wow. So I told him, I said, you find these people and, and you, will, you will be uh, one new man, Ephesians 2 kind of kingdom expression. Yeah. 
he went back to, to Zimbabwe, got in his truck, and started to drive. Six hours later, he came into an area known to be a Lemba community, and he's finding these Messianic Jewish congregations sprinkled throughout the entire community. He called me. He said, Paul, we have found our brothers in Christ. We found our Jewish brethren here. There are hundreds of thousands of them, but there's a problem. They have no clean water. It's mm -hmm. a very arid place. They are the poorest of the poor. They, Zimbabwe, have, believe it or not, Dave, has a 95% unemployment rate. Wow. The average lifespan in Zimbabwe, like its neighbor Zambia, where we've ministered before, is 40 years old. Oh, wow. 40. Yeah. Because of food, clean water, AIDS has been a terrible plague for a long, long time. Yeah. And so when I got off the phone with him, with Pastor Dixon in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, I said to my team, that's it. This is not, this can't stand yeah. in, in our lifetime. We're going to make a difference. And so we began to raise funds. And to date, we have now drilled six water wells. If people want to see that, they, if they go to wilburministries.com or just Paul Wilbur, B U R.com, it'll take you to the same place. And there is video there and explanation of how people can join us in this mission, if you will. Yeah. Um, I, re I just returned from there and at the same time just returned from Israel. Uh, but the, the work is, uh, it's amazing, the impact of feeding. We're now feeding, I don't know, 3,500 children every day Very and have cool. drilled six wells, um, but the water is deep. It's hard to get to. It's expensive. Yeah. But the result is revolutionary. Yeah. And, uh, and so the, that's our Lemba project, bringing life, clean water, and food to thousands of these Lemba children. And our goal, Dave, is 50 schools. We're now at six. Okay. The cost is about $25,000 per school. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but we're about to drill two or three more wells this week. We are well on our way to 20% of our goal already. Very good. And, uh, and, and it's, it's life. It's life from the dead. Well, it's like, uh, I've heard this said multiple times, you know, it's hard for people to hear the gospel when their stomachs are growling so loud, or it's hard for, hard for people to have patience to sit when their throats are parched because they don't have water. So this vital ministry opens the door to share about Jesus and to share how this is the Messiah that they've been looking for. So folks, I, I and I'll put all the links to Paul and the ministries in the show notes to this episode, because it's just vital that we help Paul and all of the team that you've got with you that are, that are doing this work, the Lemba Project or any of the other things that Paul's doing. So 
So I'd be honored to do that. Well, let's wrap this. You know, this is a music podcast, so we should talk a little bit about your music. Now, the most recent thing that I have from you is an instrumental album, uh, an instrumental worship album. And before that was Roar from Zion. But you're starting to release some single stuff too, right? We are. Yeah, we have a YouTube channel, so people can go there on YouTube. And, of course, it's all free. They can log on. To, we have an app, APP, if you go to the mm-hmm. app store. Uh, and just download Wilbur Ministries app. All of our videos are there. All of our three broadcasts a week. We do Shabbat in your home, Worship Wednesday, Motivational Monday, full of music, full of worship, and it's all it's all free. And we do produce these on a monthly basis. We've got a brand new song coming out uh, next month called Great God that I wrote. I'm starting to write a lot now with my daughter-in-law. Oh, fun. who uh, for the last seven years has been with American Idol and America's Got Talent. And mm. She is certainly a wonderful talent and a worship leader. So, Paul, you've been releasing a lot of singles lately, and your current single is called The Battle Is Yours. Would you tell us a little bit about that song? What do you do when the fire gets hot? You just dance. You dance in the midst of the fire. Sing in the eye of the storm and shout to the Lord, you are faithful forever. The victory is ours because the battle is his. It's it's a good message. From the struggle there will come triumph. You are strong in my weakness. Out of pain I see rejoicing. For you rise out of brokenness. For you rise out of
Well, Paul, I close every episode of my podcast with the same thing. We send out a newsletter to a whole bunch of people who have committed to praying for artists who are working at spreading the gospel, both currently and have done that in the past. How can we specifically be praying for you and for your ministry in the weeks and the months that are in front of us? Mm. Well, we, we're praying for open doors. That's our only limitation. We have big plans, Dave. I mean, I, I won't tell you because they, they'll sound as bizarre as packing up a steamer trunk and heading to Italy with no money in your pocket, don't know Italian, and don't have a teacher. Yeah. Um, but but they're there. Related to Israel, the salvation of the Jewish people, yeah. the, the proclamation and the demonstration. Um, you can pray for us that heaven will accompany the proclamation of the gospel through the music and the preaching with a demonstration of the power and authority of, of the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus, along with those open doors. And that's all we need. Thanks for sharing, Paul. I've been hearing a lot of people lately talking about the importance of music beyond the notes and rhythms. I recently heard a study that music actually releases chemicals and endorphins in our brains that help us connect with others emotionally. Another study by an Oxford psychology professor showed that singing increases pain tolerance. I found this interesting. His study used churchgoers, drummers, and dancers, and all of those people reported greater pain tolerance than people who did not listen to or sing music. Paul Wilbur talked about the importance of sound. The world was formed by the sound of God's voice, speaking things into existence. And I've long been a believer that music is actually God's creation. So it is fun for me to hear how science is finally discovering that music is way powerful, even more powerful than we originally thought. Scripture is packed with verses talking about how we should use music. For example, Psalm 150 verse 5 instructs us to praise him with loud clanging cymbals. In Ephesians 5.19, we are told to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves and make music to the Lord in your hearts. And Psalm 40, verse 3 reads, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. As a result, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him, all because of music. Aren't you grateful that musicians like Paul Wilbur use their music talents to reach the world for Jesus? This week, I'd like to look at ways that we might be able to share music with people for encouragement, celebration, and even as a way to share the gospel. How can the music that I listen to maybe make a difference to people in the world around me? I'm interested in exploring that a little bit this week. I featured Paul Wilbur's new single called The Battle Is Yours on the podcast this week. You can find that song on paulwilbur.com or anywhere you stream your music. Of course, I'd encourage you to visit Paul's website directly because that way you can learn more about all of the good work that he's doing. All of Paul's links are listed in this episode's show notes. As always, I want to thank you for joining me for this conversation today. And as a regular listener, I'd like to encourage you to sign up for one of our weekly newsletters. I send out a newsletter on Wednesday that talks about the podcasts as they are released. And then I also have our prayer newsletter that I send out every Saturday, where you can join us in praying for different musicians. These newsletters are free, 
and are available by signing up on the christianmusicarchive.com website. You'll find that sign-up form at the bottom of every page on the website. Well, be sure to come back next week when I share a great conversation with Bruce Carroll. Bruce is one of the early country singers in Christian music, and I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. So, until we meet again next week, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. It's time for another Mischievous Mowers Miscellaneous Misquotes. If you don't like my musical puns, you have my symphony. <laughs>